Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we begin, this episode contains strong language. Over 70,000 people used to live in this city. In the east of Ukraine, in the city of Bakhmut, is an area known as Zabakhmutka. It's the center of the bloodiest attritional battle of the winter. Many have been killed, and many have fled. Now, there are fewer than 2,000 people left, still eking out a bleak existence in the city. You're in Zabakhmutka. Sorry, nothing goes there. Ambulances don't go there. Fire service doesn't go there. Soldiers fight, they don't help, they have no time. So this is real no-man's land. You live up here, you're on your own. Unless you meet Dave Young. Well, hopefully not completely on your own. Some idiot volunteer will turn up with a car and take you out. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Ребята, если вам нужно, гуманитарным помочь. Давай сейчас. Today, Dave, the British man rescuing civilians from Putin's war. Okay. I'm Anthony Lloyd. I'm a special correspondent for The Times, and I've just come back from Ukraine. I think it's my seventh assignment this year. You and our colleague, Federica Dakaria, who's a filmmaker with The Times, you've just been on the front line, really. You've just arrived back in the country when we're talking to you. What's it like covering the war right now compared to what it's been like on your previous visits? It's a pretty depressing experience, and there's a quantum leap in difference between being in Britain and reading about the war and going there and seeing it for oneself. This war is sort of a clash of civilizations, and Britain has rightly thrown the weight of its support behind Ukraine. But there is often a sense, I would say, of over-optimism in the reporting of a war whose ultimate ending we don't yet know. It's going through a very tough winter stage. There's this huge battle ongoing, Bakhmut, which Russia's throwing massive resources to try and capture this city from the Ukrainians with very heavy casualties for both sides. And the ultimate end state of the war, I would say, unknown. So to give us a sense of 
what the last nine, almost ten months now have looked like and what it's like now on the front line. We're trying to tell the story of this war through the prism of one man's experience. Tell us about the man at the centre of today's story. How did you meet him? So the man at the centre of the story is a guy called Dave Young, who's a British guy, 56 years old now. And I met him by chance in this eastern city, Slovyansk, in the end of March, when the war still seemed very new. I met him purely on account of our shared nationality. A Ukrainian colleague actually came up to me and said, hey, there's this British guy there, you should go and speak to him. That was how it started. When you first meet a Brit out there in Ukraine, I mean, what are your first impressions? What were you expecting and what did you think of the man you met? He's a really unusual guy. Uh, he's kind of rangy, intense, quite glowing eyes, enthusiastic, very open, exceptionally well-informed. I suppose slightly cynically, I thought, oh, this is some Brit who would have just turned up in Ukraine, some Arivist who's um, feeling full of good intent but might not know much about the country. That wasn't the case at all. Dave had lived in Ukraine for the past 16 years since he went there originally on a job and sort of fell in love with the country and had remained. And in fact, at the start of the Russian invasion in February this year, he was making lamps in Kyiv. I had a little workshop in Kyiv. I was making artistic kind of lamps out of uh, fractured glass in Ukrainian oak and selling them online. All the way up to the Russian invasion, I was in complete denial. When they first hit the city properly and they were handing out guns, so go and get a gun, so go and get a gun, I'm like, you're going to get killed. And so, of course, the British Embassy offered to evacuate him or whatever. And he says, well, no, I felt rather indebted and full of a profound admiration for Ukrainians. If people leave, if you run away, you know, OK, you've got to look after your own safety, blah, blah, blah. But this is the Russians. They have no right to be here. They have no right to do anything. I'm not going to run away from these bastards. Then, glancing through the papers a couple of days later in Kyiv, he saw an advertisement. While I'm leafing through all the news and everything, I find a page advertising for Kyiv drivers, come and do evacuation. So I rang them up and they're like, it's simple, you get in your car tomorrow morning, you come to Nipra, and uh, we'll find you somewhere to live temporarily, and the next morning you'll get your instructions, and they'll be on your mobile phone, and off you go. And he got the job. And it, I mean, that's quite a leap to go from, I'd feel bad leaving all my neighbours and all my friends, to volunteering to drive to some of the most dangerous parts to start rescuing people. He said to me, in the hour of need of my friends amongst whom I'd lived for 16 years, I didn't want to regret not having done something to help them. So very quickly after this first meeting... I contacted him and said, hey, I'm interested in going out with you on one of your missions. And so he said, yeah, OK, well, in a couple of days' time, I'm going to Severodonetsk. It's, you know, besieged by the Russian forces. I've got some people to rescue there. And so I said, yeah, OK, let's do it. Dave, do you find you've got used to taking risk and being exposed to danger? Or do you find it cumulatively a bit more difficult? Unfortunately, I think... I'm acclimatising to it too much. I was 
having some serious issues entering into the hot zones before, but I'm not too sure if they've, have they calmed down a little bit or am I just getting completely numb to it? At that stage, he's working for a Ukrainian charity organization called Help People. And at night, he would get a list of people to rescue with their addresses. So a lot of these were the people calling into the charity and saying, my name is so-and-so, this is my number, I live at this address, please get me out. Wow. And Dave would be sent to that address. So the next morning, Dave, he'd plot all this on his smartphone and then would do his best to get to these places and rescue the people he'd been tasked to, to rescue. Often he's going to frontline areas and just shouting out into the ruins, hey, does anyone need evacuation? Ribiata! Ribiata! Yes, Ivan Nuzna! Gumanitarian Pamoch! Device, Charles! Bistra! get people stumbling out of cellars to come to him. What <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that first time we got a couple out from Severodonetsk, or Dave got a couple out, and I was there with my team in a vehicle with him. And on the way back, I remember two jets just suddenly crossed above the road in front of us. They kind of been flying more than a couple of hundred feet high, and we didn't know whose jets they were, Ukrainian or, or Russian. It was... Uh, you know, it's a war zone, and that's Dave's workplace. It just goes wild here all the time. You're right on the edge of it, and it sometimes spills a bit backwards towards here. We're on the edge of my comfort zone. You first met him and you first went out on one of these rescue missions with him in April in Severodonetsk, which was the, the front line at the time. Yeah. What made you go back and see him again? The war in eastern Ukraine is surprisingly difficult to cover. The front line is often very difficult to get to. You have to have special permission from the Ukrainian army who are very, very reserved about issuing that permission or if they do issue it, in allowing you to report freely from areas. And they don't want journalists running around haphazardly in the front line. They don't want journalists getting blown up or killed. But also, they want to control the message. Mm. Now, with Dave, you ride with him in his van... And you are mainlined absolutely straight into what is going on in the frontline areas. Dave Young is there as a volunteer evacuator, a rescuer. He's way through checkpoints and you see an awful lot of stuff when you're travelling with Dave. So I was curious to meet him again and go on another mission. Now, by the time I had written to him again, said, hey, Dave, can I go down the road with you one more time? Yeah. He told me, yeah, sure, I've, um, I've lost my eye. I've been wounded and I've lost my eye. This van has been hit properly twice. The, the, the nice redecoration of the internals is all in uh, one moment. 
all in a, a massive attack near Lisa Chance. Dave goes to Lisa Chance, which by then is under attack as well and in danger of being captured by the Russians. It was subsequently captured by the Russians. He had picked up two elderly people, a man and a woman, in his van. I went off and picked up two pensioners, did my evacuations across the town, and suddenly, boom, sort of right, there's a grad. Shells, a rocket started landing near his vehicle. And shrapnel comes waving its, can't be seen, it comes waving its way into the vehicle. And suddenly the car gets raked at fairly close range by gunfire, like a lot of bullets. At that moment, the first bullet hole goes through the window. Uh, I'm struggling to work out what the hell has happened, but the shrapnel's gone around my glasses, on the right eye, and it's popped straight in, and it's just cut the nerve, and it's profusely bleeding. I'm like looking down on my lap, and there's just blood pouring out. And I'm kind of, I lean to the left a little bit, and I didn't realize it, but at that point, two more bullet holes come straight through. And as I lean down like that, they go straight through the headrest. I, which I didn't realise at the time, they blow the guy's head off behind me, I'll go straight through his head and out the other side. And I'm like, I'm going to be dead in a very short time. And then the bullet holes start appearing down the side of the vehicle. And it's like a can opener, it's like ping, ping on the windows. And I do 15 kilometres to backward wondering why I was born, wondering why I'm on this day, wondering how I'm going to make it right. Then I'm transferred to hospital, had my eye cut out and thrown away because it was dead, and a socket put in. And they give him a prosthetic eye. He found it very uncomfortable and not kind of doing what he wanted it to. So he just thought, well, I'm going to have a patch. So he brought a patch, put it over the place where his right eye used to be. And only about 12 days later, started driving rescue missions again. I was desperate to get back on the road. There was a, there was a, an internal balance that I was carrying too much blame. I really, really felt that that it was my fault. On reflection, no, it's not. But carried that with me for quite a while. There's not much better you can do in this world than to save somebody. He's rescued more than 800 people now. That's a really defining act with each day. It's quite addictive. And he says, you know, he's like going to carry on dancing with the cobra while he still can. Until I'm too broken to do it, or until I'm not needed anymore. <laughs> Coming up, 
Dave Young gets back out on the road. That's in just a moment. I'm Tony Gallagher, the editor of The Times. Every day, my team endeavours to bring you the best stories, the most incisive commentary, topical features, beautifully illustrated with award-winning photographs. But we can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. What's really remarkable is that having lost an eye, he goes straight back, 12 days later, goes back to rescue missions. What's it like watching him do that? I mean, is, does, is the lack of an eye a, a, a problem? I tell you, it's a little bit scary being a passenger in the front seat when he does his overtaking because... <laughs> I bet! <laughs> I've had a couple of friends have lost eyes before and they always say it takes quite a bit of time to adapt. Now we're turning off for solid art. You go a little bit further up, you've got Station Sol, which is also part of Solidar, but like another separate region with separate roads in. 
yeah, overtaking is a little bit scary, but also seeing him work in the area he is now working, which is the city of Bakhmut in, in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine, the subject of this huge ongoing battle. The van he drives is his Mercedes. It's been refitted several times, but, you know, the bullet hole is still in the headrest. There's shrapnel scours all across the roof. There's various bullet holes throughout the vehicle, which are still there. You know, you get in that vehicle, you are in no doubt that this is a guy who works in a war zone. So, Ant, bring us up to date. You have literally just come back now from a trip to Ukraine. You've just been out with Dave again in Bakhmut on the absolute front line of where the fighting is at the moment. From the people you met there, you know, whether they're soldiers or any of the civilians who who are left, what were they saying to you? Well, soldiers, we went up on a Ukrainian gun position. It was self-propelled howitzers. Looks a bit like a tank, basically, but it's it's classed as artillery. And they're of all, of course, of kind of full of fire and fury. And, and this howitzer team that I'd spent a bit of time with, the commander had named the howitzer after his girlfriend or his lover, who is called Veronica. Uh, you know, they were full of flame. Sure, that's exactly how she'd want to be remembered. Yeah, <laughs> totally an old tank, yeah. <laughs> but full of fire and fury, maybe. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, so these five guys, they've been together through a lot. And they were, you know, pumping out shells into the Russian positions. And every time they fired a shell, the commander would jump out and say, yeah, welcome to Ukraine, you Russian motherfuckers. They're like covered in sort of oil-stained kit and pretty rough guys. I mean, the commander had a tattoo of a tear on beneath his eye. But <laughs> Tattoo oh, of a tear? Yeah, yeah, which usually means you kill somebody. And That's when we, interesting. Yeah, and when we went down to a command position, one of the battalion command positions, I was saying, like, how's it going? You're suffering really heavy casualties. Can you sustain this? And he was quite matter-of-fact about it. He said, look, yeah, we're losing ground in some areas. We're gaining ground in others. Yeah. We're losing a lot of guys, but we're killing more of them than, than we're losing. We're going to fight this out until the winter freezes the lines. And the Russians are throwing a huge amount of resources at it. They're outnumbering the Ukrainian artillery by about six to one in terms of heavy artillery. I mean, they're really wow. pumping it out. We're talking about... Those are not great numbers. No, we're talking about scores of Ukrainian soldiers being killed or wounded on a daily basis there in this battlefield. The battle started intensifying around Bakhmut in August, but it's really at its peak drive now. At the moment, it's the bloodiest and most intense battle ongoing in Ukraine. Just describe for us a bit about what that front line looks like. What is Dave driving into every day? So I think one has the impression of a front line of two opposing sets of trenches, perhaps a few hundred metres apart. But in the area of Bakhmut... The front line is actually an extremely dangerous belt that's much wider than a few hundred metres because it's fought over so intensely using aircraft, surface-to-surface missiles, artillery, tanks, mortars, loitering munitions, suicide drones, the full shebang. It's right on the eastern side, in the contested Donbass region. If Russia captures it, it opens up a Russian axis of advance to Ukrainian-held cities like Slovyansk and Krematorsk. We're talking about very, very easterly area. Much of the city is in ruins. I mean, it really looks post-apocalyptic. 
empty streets, a few scurrying figures. As dust comes, you can see a few looters moving around the place. There's no electricity, there's no running water. The violence is all pervading. You know, the jets flying regular bombing missions there as well. It's not like elsewhere where Russian jets, they really like venturing too deep into Ukraine. You see the trails of jets up in the sky. The sound of shelling is absolutely all pervasive. It's hard to get a sort of 10 or 15 second gap between shells. <laughs> when you leave it, you suddenly realize, hey, what's this silence? It's really something, that something bad. So unnerving. This is fucking horrible. When night falls, shelling often gets worse. And anybody there goes to the cover of their basements, cellars. And some people have lived in their cellars day and night, particularly the elderly, for, for months. Maria! One woman Dave rescued, Maria, she's 84 years old. She'd lived in her house for over 40 years. She's a widow, but she'd built it by hand with her husband. Her whole street has been hit by shell fathers, just four guys left in her street who give her a little bit of food every day. She's expended her water rations because the bit at the edge of the house gets hit by Russian shell and catches fire. So she's blown her water rations, putting out the fire. Oh, wow. She had hung on in that house in her tiny little cellar and had lived there totally for four months. Dave Young, on the word of someone else, a mother elderly lady said, who'd told Dave, look, go to that street, number 12, Maria Zabara, get her out of that basement. She says, thank God, freedom, freedom from the cellar. Dave gets her into the vehicle and drives her off to Dnipro, which isn't touched by fighting. She's put in a transit centre there, waiting for her relatives to pick her up and take her to accommodation. Had she stayed, she would have died of cold or shell fire. I was born in Russia and lived there for 12 years with my mum. Then we moved to Bakhmut, and I've been living there ever since. I spent about four months in the cellar without leaving it. Four months. I just ran to my neighbour to get warm by his fire, then back to the cellar. It was just impossible. Impossible. I only want to go back home. People have different motivations for staying. Often it's the very old, the very poor, those with nowhere else to go, or those too frightened to leave. Then you get some people stay in their homes as an act of defiance against the Russian invasion. And you get some in that area who stay in their homes because they're pro-Russian and they want the Russians there. I mean, it's yeah. not often talked about, but that's just Important how to it is. Important to remember. The Donbass is a place of checkered loyalty. Then there was this, this quite moving scene where it was slightly ugly aside. We were leaving, Dave was leaving the East Bank one, it's nearing dusk, not quite there. We had about 45 minutes before the light started fading. 
and we were right in an area near the Russians. There were firefights chattering on through the ruins around us. Ukrainian soldiers looking quite freaked and saying, watch out for Russian snipers. Dave had been striding through the ruins. And at this point, yeah, I was getting quite tweaky about being around in that. But Dave is quite insistent, shouting for anyone to evacuate. Nobody there, empty streets. But suddenly a door opened of the basement. Two really desperate looking guys came out and they saw Dave and they're like, oh, Dave, it's you. You frightened the life out of us. It was quite funny. They kind of recognised Dave as someone, you know, from the street. But then as we walk back, it's kind of shelling. He's getting around. quite a reputation oh, at yeah. this stage. He's, he's, he's well known. He's not hard to miss either. You know, it's the English guy speaking bad Russian with one eye. You know? <laughs> Anyway, so we're walking back, we're just getting in the car when this pretty wasted guy comes out, a young guy. He said, hey, there's a there's a body we want you to collect. And first of all, he starts saying, Dave, some guy's been beaten to death. And Dave's like, well, I'm not already here to collect bodies. Then the guy says, well, there's a body of a woman there too. And Dave was like, well, I should check out this you know, situation. Is it someone who's been killed? Is it someone who's injured or what? The guy yeah. seems too wasted to give a good account of it. Dave's like, we're going to go and check this out. So we go up this totally devastated apartment block, rubble everywhere. We open this door and it's been ransacked, drawers spilling everywhere. And these guys kind of go in with us. And there on the floor of the bedroom is this elderly lady, very composed in death. Oh, sorry, sweetheart. I don't know what she died of. Not what she died. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. What a way to go. And it's unclear to me whether she's been hit by shrapnel or not. It looks like she hasn't been. I don't see any sign of violence, but I'm. It's quite disturbing. This is, you know, dead lady on the floor of her bedroom in a ransacked apartment. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't. She's been there, it turns out, they said for three weeks. It's a bit hard to tell. It's so cold. I say, well, sorry, we can't remove. We can't remove her. We're not here to do that. And we ask if there's anyone else around there, and they say no. So we left, and it was, yeah, a very lonely way to go, too. And another area we went to, Solidar, just north of Bakhmut. Dave did a drop off there and this apartment block which would have had, you know, a couple hundred people in it now has seven in it. The whole place is wrecked. There's no one to bury the body. So the survivors scrape around in a trench line at the edge of the building and put them in there with improvised crosses. So, and these are people that David met and delivered aid to. They took some incoming along here. That's the, that's the last two people that got fucking shelled out here maybe three weeks ago. So I got to pick up her belongings, take them to the relatives in Pavlograd. Oh, so he really is the last link. Yeah, he's to the, the last link. World. For a lot of people living in that zone, in that extremity, they're only linked to the outside world. Is Dave or someone like him, and there's not ma- not many people like him. And in the middle of all of that, what happens to Dave? I've asked Dave 
what do you see yourself doing if the war ends? I found him intoxicating company, actually, and it's... Really? Yeah, yeah. But the day ends with him going back alone to a hostel in Dnipro, and he says that is intensely lonely. It's desperately lonely because you have intense moments of bonding, of reality, and that is like, wow, it's like... Like plugging yourself into like uh, 240 volts all the time. And then you stop and they're gone, they're out of your world. And then you've got endless times on the road. And you like come back and the cat goes, Hello, what are we doing? And you're like, Well, nothing much tonight, we'll just have a beer and have a chat. And so you have no normal contact. Other people aren't talking to you, and you just sit there and you're like, fuck, you know, maybe this great big heroic tale, blah, blah, is going on, but there's just me, and there's the road, and there's those intense, intense things, and um, I'm, I'm in a void. There are people I worry about every day, and I, you know, I do think each day, I hope Dave makes it. listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times war correspondent, Anthony Lloyd. The filmmaker reporting with Anthony in Ukraine was Federica Dakara. You can find their film on the link in the description for this episode. Today's podcast was produced by James Shield and mixed by John Scott. The executive producer is Kate Ford. If you can, please do leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.